0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now and open them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Our subject Today is part two of the message, The Church Reveling in Worship, and we're considering the highest priority for the Christian, and that is to be a part of the Lord's Church and to glorify Him in acts of worship. Worship is the way that we relate to the Lordship of Christ. He is the Lord God, and we must recognize Him not only for his right to be worshipped, but God, in fact, desires that his people should worship him. And considering all that Jesus Christ has done for us and the providential care of God over us, we also ought to desire to worship God. This is what he saves us to do. Jesus said, The Father is seeking those who will worship him in honesty and sincerity, without hypocrisy, He said that the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth and understand that none will do this unless their hearts have been changed. And so the ones that God seeks are the ones that he intends to change and make them true worshipers. Now, we're looking at Paul's closing remarks of this first letter to the church at Thessalonica And he concludes with commands that will help the church to work together and relate to one another. There are instructions in these last verses for the way that leaders and the people are to interact. There are instructions for fellowship between the members. But without doubt is the section that we come to now, and this is the importance of the way that we relate to the Lord. Our relationship to Christ governs all of our other relationships. And so, as the people of God in His church, you won't respect the leadership of the church as you should unless you have the right relationship to the Lord. And you won't fellowship with each other and treat one another as you should unless you have this right relationship with the Lord. Now, we see the, the connection to this in verse number 14. As we read here about helping the weak and being patient. In verse 15 it shows up as we're told to follow and to do those things that are good as we consider each other. But now the Apostle turns his attention to the underlying foundation of all Christian experience. And that is how do we relate to the Lordship of Christ? And the answer is worship. That we must worship in spirit and in truth. Our text begins with chapter 5, verse number 16. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. These verses seem to be written in staccato i think they're written in such a way that we emphasize every statement rejoice evermore pray without ceasing and everything give thanks i think paul wants us to consider very carefully what he says here and these different things that he says in these verses read like a formula for worship he begins with that with that phrase rejoice evermore the shortest verse In the English New Testament, you know very well, is Jesus wept. I mean, when you were young and you had to memorize a verse, that's the one you always wanted to memorize. Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the English New Testament. The shortest verse in the Greek New Testament is this, Rejoice evermore. And that sets the parameter for our first act of worship. And this is what we talked about last week. Number one was the worship of praise. We relate to God, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as we praise Him. And we learn that worship is praise and adoration that is directed towards God. Worship is an attitude of the heart as we recognize who God is, what God did in the creation, and especially what God did in the new creation. And that is changing our hearts and may causing us to be born again, changing us from sinners that were justly condemned to hell to saints that are justified and are now headed to heaven. We adore our Lord because, as the Apostle Paul wrote, his love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ who lives in us. And then in our last message, we learned that worship is an outward expression. Now, it is possible, of course, to worship alone in our heart, but the church in corporate worship is Paul's subject here, and there is an outward expression of this to show that Christ is alive in our hearts. We show it by activities of Christian living. That is, being kind-hearted to each other, being gentle, being compassionate, or simply stated in the Scriptures, just do good to your fellow man. And then we learn that worship is also inward, that we can't worship unless there is a change in our heart to be different from what we once were, We must be regenerated by the Holy Spirit and then changed from the wickedness in which we live to the holiness of God, following Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. And since our actions flow out of the condition of our heart, the inward has to be right with God before we can express it outwardly towards others who are also believers in Christ. But then we discuss the upward component of worship. And that's the most important because this part is about our focus. God is the focus of worship. So we can talk about the outward, but uh, our focus is not what we do to other people as we worship. We can talk about the inward, but our focus is not on ourselves. No, those two, the outward and the inward, flow from this main focus, and that is that our focus must be upwardly directed towards God in everything. As the scripture says, in Him we live and move and have our being. It is He who created us and not we ourselves. And so our focus is not us, it's not others. Our main focus in worship is the Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself. And unless we focus on Him, we won't be right in our worship. Well, we took this information and we applied it to this first command that we have in verse number 16, rejoice evermore. It doesn't tell us. To be happy all of the time. I mean, truly, we can be somber. Sometimes we can be deeply contemplative and introspective and not rejoice, uh, perhaps, uh, and still rejoice, I should say. So it's not about mood swings, not about your happiness, but it's about the determination to keep this focus on the big picture of what God is doing in his sovereign plan. As Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for our good. We are called by him, we are justified by him, we are sanctified by him, and praise God, one day we will be glorified by, by him. And so everything works within that final goal, the glorification of God's saints, so there's nothing that happens in the life of any believer that is outside of God's sovereign plan. So whatever problem that you think that you might have, whatever difficulty comes in your life, know that God knows it, and it's all within that sovereign plan. And that was a, a very important point for the Thessalonian church, because how would they be happy? I mean, ha- if happiness is the goal of the Christian life, how would they be happy in persecution? How would they be joyful living in a pagan society that was politically and religiously against Christianity? How would they be cheery and walk down the street, whistling as they walk? How could they do that with a smile on their face, considering everything that they faced? How would they endure? Well, it wasn't by worrying about their happiness, but rejoicing in God's eternal plan for them. You see, back in chapter 4, Paul began to explain to them how Christ promised that he would return. There's hope of deliverance from all of these things that they're going through. And the circumstantial happiness that they were looking for was nothing compared to the eternal happiness that would be theirs when Christ returned for them. Now, in chapter 5, Paul encouraged them by saying that the destruction that is surely coming upon this world is not theirs they won't be involved in that. They won't be overtaken by it. But they are children of the light. And they will live with Christ in its kingdom forever. So that's that's the focus of rejoicing. The focus must be the big picture of what God knows and what God is doing. If God said that all things work together for their good, they must believe that it's true And with that eternal hope in their hearts, what could shake the foundation of their faith? And folks, that is the praise mode that the church must be in, or we will not come here to worship. But there are so many Christians that fret about everything that's going on around us. We worry about, what is the government doing? And we don't need to worry about what's going to happen to our nation We act as if there isn't anyone in control and it's up to Christian people to straighten out the mess that we're in or we won't survive. But the church's survivability has never been tied to what the government does. It's never been the government's job and the government has never done this to protect the church. I mean, you look at it throughout history, you'll never find that governments are supportive of the church. So yes, what should we do about government? Well, as a Christian, you ought to pray about it. You ought to pray for the good of our government. Pray that we'll be better examples of the life-changing gospel. Uh, do your part to vote correctly as best we can. But let's not let what happens in our country be the focus and get us down and make us miserable. See, Christians and in past times have fared far worse than we do in this country. I mean, in those days of great uncertainty, when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, Christians faced much worse than Christians uh, in America today do. So in those days, Paul just was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words where he says, rejoice evermore. And if those people in that time could do it, then we, the people of God today, certainly can heed the Apostle's instructions. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice because your Lord is sovereign. Rejoice because your Lord is providential. Rejoice because his children will never fail to reach their eternal, final salvation and that home in heaven. Oh, it's promised. And God's promises are forever sure. Who can separate us from the love of God? Rejoice because he loves you. As Paul commanded the Philippians... He said, think on positive affirmations of the work of God in your life. Now, you'll notice that one thing that Paul didn't say. Paul didn't say, now here's the power of positive thinking. This is what positive thinking, that's going to straighten up everything in your life. No, this is not the power of positive thinking. This is the power of the infinite God of your thoughts. You're not going to find power and security in your thoughts, but you will find it in the God of your thoughts. And so it's not positive self-affirmation, it is positive God-affirmation. Well, I mentioned last time that these verses might indeed be a prescription for worship. There is a trilogy of worship that is indicated. And in the many centuries uh, of church history since this was written, churches have followed this prescription. That prescription is written on the inside of your bulletin on the left-hand side of the page and that's in the order of services. What do we do when we come to church? We praise, we pray, and we preach. We begin by lifting our voices in praises to our Lord, then we pray, and we preach. Those are the elements that we find in this text. Uh, Today, Beginning our services, we had a call to worship where we read the word of God and then immediately we go in to singing and making melody in our heart where we vocalize the greatness of God as we lift our hearts together in public worship. And, and I hope that you notice as we sang today, if you read the words while you'll sing, while you sing, you'll notice there that we choose songs that are about God, not songs that are about us. And whenever we mention ourselves, we only do it to acknowledge how lost we were, to acknowledge how small we are, how sinful we are, how undeserving we are, and then immediately we swing that focus back to talk about God, the God who took the initiative and sought and found us, and by His power alone made us what we are. So these are the kinds of songs that we want to sing, songs that glorify Christ, where we where we rejoice in his providential care. Good or bad, and what happens in our lives, we rejoice. And we don't really worry about the bad because those are just negative circumstances that God always promises that he'll turn to our good. Now, inherent in the definition of worship is the first command to worship or to, to praise. The focus is Christ, not what we're going through. And if we haven't got that straight, we won't come here to worship. We won't see the value in it. We focus on the rich benefits of our salvation in Christ whenever we go to the house of worship. Today, I'd like us to move on to the second element in the trilogy of worship. And this is the worship of prayer. In the 17th verse, the apostle says, Pray without ceasing. If I ask you, what is the hardest discipline in your Christian life? I think most of us would answer prayer. We would say prayer. That's that's the hardest thing that I have to do as a Christian. I just don't pray enough. Now, prayer, on the surface of it, is, is a very simple concept, and yet it's very hard to do. And so when we see the apostles say something like, pray without ceasing, that's a mind-blowing proposition. How can we pray without ceasing when we hardly pray at all? Prayer is very difficult. Private prayers are difficult. But private prayer is not the subject here. The word that's used for prayer in this text suggests the worshipful nature of prayer. So Paul is talking about prayer that takes place in the corporate body of the church. And I think that many of you need to be very thankful for public prayers because without the public prayers, you wouldn't pray at all. But this is not an excuse for your private prayers not being what they should be. That's not remedied by the church's public prayers. But today, the subject is not your personal prayers. It's not what takes place in your prayer closet at home as you're alone with God, not what you're doing privately. Here, Paul is giving us a prescription for worship in the church. This is prayer as worship. To pray without ceasing, he says, pray without ceasing. And to pray in that way doesn't really make much sense if if the apostle means, well, when you come to church, the first thing that you do when you enter this room, go down straight to your knees, stay there, and stay in prayer that entire time. Well, no, you, you know that he must mean something different by pray without ceasing because you would say, well, where's the singing? Where are we going to have time to sing? When will we preach? There isn't any time for anything but prayer. So Paul had something else in mind here, just as when he said rejoice evermore, he didn't mean never stop singing. I promise you, you would get on everyone's last nerve if all you did was sing all the time. So he's not talking about praying without ceasing in that way, singing without ceasing, but rather he's telling us that without ceasing is to be the attitude of our prayer. At any time in this worship service, your heart ought to be ready to communicate with God. Have you had it happen to you? Have you just wanted to stop when whatever we're doing here in the service and communicate with God? Have you been singing a song? One of the songs that we sing and suddenly that song just moves you. You feel something in your heart and you just have to stop. Oh, I've done that many times. We're singing the congregational songs and I just have to stop. And in that moment, you you just want to talk with God. You want to thank God for what he's doing in your life. Sometimes this happens when you hear preaching. There's a point that the preacher makes and uh, you just stop and your, your ears just for a minute just seem to stop up. And there you begin to talk with God and you express the thankfulness for what you've heard in a sermon. That is what Paul means by pray without ceasing. It's knowing that you can talk with God at any time, and God is listening to you every time. Now, prayer needs to be a part of our public worship, more than just your private speaking to the Lord. All of us, when we come together as the church body, we need to talk together with our God. And we do that by listening to prayers that are made, by acknowledging those prayers as ours. The prayers that are led by the one who prays in the service is our public prayer for all of us. And I encourage you, when, when I stand here to give you the pastoral prayer, and I talk about confession of sin, and and, and we, when I speak to God for, for the church, and when I say amen, I think that you ought to acknowledge that. Acknowledge that this is our prayer. This is all of us speaking together to God. I mean, the pastoral prayer is not intended to be my prayer alone. But I'm expressing what the whole congregation should express. And so I think it's a very good thing when we come to the end of that prayer and the amen goes out that all of us together say amen because that is our prayer. Acknowledge it that the prayer is yours as well as mine. Now, I do realize that Sometimes prayer is intensely private. Jesus often had his times of private prayer. He would go alone in a prayer session and he would speak with his father. He would tell the disciples, stay here, don't follow me, don't interrupt me. I'm going to talk to my father. And we need those times of private prayer. In fact, did you know that as a member of Brean Baptist Church, if you are in fact a member here that when you became a member, this is one of the promises that you made. This is part of our church covenant, that we promise to maintain secret, private devotions. And in those devotions, we promise that we will pray for people in the church. And we promise especially that we will pray for the leadership of the church. Prayer has that private application, but prayer is more than just private. Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. You Remember, in the the sixth chapter in the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, he talked about prayer and that's where we have what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. It comes from that portion of Scripture. And do you remember the way that Jesus said you are to start this prayer? He said, pray this way. Our Father. Now, I, I think that that would indicate that our indicates that this is a prayer that's not prayed alone. It's a prayer that's prayed together. He is our Father, our Father together. And Jesus must have meant this is the way that you pray when we pray together. Now, in the Scriptures, you'll find that there are some great public prayers. Moses prayed publicly. Solomon prayed publicly at the dedication of the temple. Uh, We just read in the book of Nehemiah about public prayer. Ezra prayed publicly In the New Testament, the church, uh, after Pentecost, gathered and prayed together. In Acts chapter 4, they prayed when the apostles were released from, from being persecuted at the temple, being beaten there. In Acts chapter 12, the church got together and held a prayer meeting for Peter, who was then in prison. All of the church together praying. And then James said, in James chapter 5, "...confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another." that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now there, James referenced Elijah's prayer and how that Elijah had power with God. He was so much in touch with God that he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then Elijah prayed again and then the rain started. Imagine, that's one man praying. What if the whole church together was praying in this way? What if all of us were together in accord, one, to, one another, uh, with one another in accord with one mind, one spirit and calling on the Lord God? And so what the scriptures indicate and what Paul is trying to tell the church here is that prayer is a powerful tool in God's church. We've seen God answer prayer in that little group that we assemble with for Bible study on Wednesday evenings. Before we begin the study, we pray for a special request on our prayer page. We include a time of praise when those prayers are answered. Many times we do what, what Gary did in the prayer today, and that was to start with a praise for a prayer that's been answered. And I often wonder, what would our church be able to do if we could just get the whole church involved in praying and studying the Bible together? And I have to ask members of our church, what is it that hinders you from prayer and from Bible study? What can the church of God do if we dwell together in unity and pray together? How much power with God would we have if we prayed just as Paul says, pray without ceasing. Come together and pray. Come together and study. Come together and be God's people unified in His church. Oh, I can give you great examples of the church praying together and what God has done. Uh, I think about a miracle, you might say, in some respects, of what God does. Um, A few years ago, a small group of Filipinos had their church destroyed in a typhoon in the Philippines. They had no money. They had no help. They didn't know how that they would rebuild their church. And so they prayed, and the pastor sent out a plea across, I suppose, across the world— to many churches across the world. And that pastor's letter found its way into my inbox, and the Lord pressed upon my mind that we should help this church. Now, I promise you, in any given year, I receive hundreds of illegitimate requests from people always wanting money for this or that, somebody from some foreign country, or Nigeria, or wherever it might be, places where people want money to do this and do that, and I just never even give it a second thought. So for some reason, this, this letter came to my inbox on that particular day, and I read that letter, and I said, S- so, something's happening here that the Lord is impressing upon me. The Lord is speaking to my heart about this, and so I decided that our church should get involved with that church, that church in the Philippines that, that needed some help to rebuild so that they could get the gospel out to their area. And so over these past few years, we've sent thousands of dollars to help rebuild that church. Every year we send funds to send kids to camp where they learn about, about God and they've seen people that will, that have surrendered to the ministry. As far as I know, and I'm thinking that we're the only church that responded to that letter that Pastor Oscar Bouquet sent. It was random. But then I thought, is it random? Is it really random or was it the Holy Spirit who put that letter in my inbox because those people were faithful to pray? Can we think about the adversities that our church has been through through these many years? Do you think it's not hard to be a church in Roner Park that still unashamedly preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you think about how hard it is to be a church that still preaches about hell? It still preaches about morality. It still stands on the Word of God exactly as God gave us His Word and doesn't compromise it. Do you think it's not hard to do that? You think people don't oppose us because we do? They certainly do oppose us. And that's the power of standing for the Lord, of public prayer, praying to God and asking Him to help us as we continue this ministry here. Now, I, I want to show you some benefits of public prayer. This is taken from Philippians chapter 4. So, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4, I want to talk about these briefly as we conclude our time together this morning. The apostle here writes to a struggling church not very far from Thessalonica. In fact, in the same area, this is the church at Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 4, in verse number 6, the apostle says to this church, he says, "...be careful for nothing." And that simply means stop worrying about stuff. Don't be anxious over things. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now notice first that God desires prayer. God desires for us to talk with him. And we learn this from the simple fact that so many times in Scripture is commanded for us to pray. Prayer is not a stranger to the commands of Scripture, these instructions. The Psalms are filled with worshipful prayers. There's no mistake that God delights when his people talk with him. Now, you see, prayer is worship because it's an acknowledgement of the power of God. God delights in prayer because that shows that that we believe and accept that we're nothing without Him. I can't imagine what our church would be like without prayer because it would say, we don't really need God. A church without prayer says, well, we, we can just do all these things in our own power. We have the ability that whatever God commands, we just simply go out and do it and we can do it by ourselves. The church is ours. It's us together. And this church works because we work. And then I'm afraid there are some churches that believe in prayer that really don't understand it as they should because they get mixed up about their confidence in prayer. They do pray, but again, they think the church works because they work. But I'll tell you, the church works because God works. The church works because God is the power behind everything that we do. And God loves this type of worship. He loves the prayers of His people because the prayers have the attitude that He's the one who's the Almighty. He's the one that controls everything. He controls everything that we have no hope to control. Paul said, In everything, let your requests be made known to God. Everything in your life, by extension, everything in your church life, everything is subject to God's control. I mean, isn't it worship? To say, Almighty God, we worship you because you alone are our provider. You alone are the one who sustains us. You alone are the one who, who is our hope. You are the captain of our salvation. To you be glory in the church world without end. Pray. Because prayer acknowledges God. It, it shows that you admit that you're broken. God desires your prayers Because it shows that you trust that he's listening. He asks for prayer because he's never too busy. He's never bothered by our prayers as if he has too much to do. Do you understand that we worship an infinite God? As I speak to you about prayer this morning and encourage you to pray, pastors are doing this all across the United States. Good churches are doing this all across the world. And you wonder, how can that many people pray and God hear all of it? That's the God that we serve. It's one of the reasons we worship Him, because nobody but Him can do that. His ears are always open to His people. So pray, because prayer acknowledges God. And then Jesus said, when you pray, just keep on praying. Keep on asking. Insist, is what He says. Don't stop your prayers. Pray unceasingly, the Apostle says. Pray persistently, Jesus says. Pray until you hear from God. God tests our faith in prayer. If we stop too soon and we say, well, there's no use praying for that anymore, that in effect is us answering our own prayer. We're saying no when God may not be saying no. So every Sunday, let's come together to pray. Let's hear that pastoral prayer and other prayers and own those prayers as ours and just know that God is waiting to hear from us. He desires it. Because we acknowledge He is here and He hears. Now secondly, in this passage of Philippians, it shows that prayer supports others. How many of you start a conversation by saying, How are you? How are you doing today? And we almost always start a conversation that way. It was in the office this morning when I came in. I just heard somebody walk in the door and somebody asked, How are you doing today? Well, we're not actually... Interested in the answer to that question, are we? Not really. That's just something that we say to kind of get into things. If the answer is longer than I'm going okay, then... Uh, no, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear that. Uh, that's 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 not a conversation starter. I mean, uh, we want to hear I'm okay and that's all we want to hear. Well, Christians have conversation starters and stoppers. Now, we might listen to the answer when someone we ask someone, how are you doing? And they say, well... You know, here, here's what's wrong today, and the answer comes about troublesome. So immediately we try to stop that conversation by saying, "I'll pray for you." No, you won't. Do you know that? You don't have any intentions of praying for them. They they tell you tell you your troubles. They say, "I'll pray for you," but there's no intention. We don't add them to the list. We 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 don't acknowledge what's wrong. It's their problem and I'll pray for you is just a way to get rid of people. What happens in, in our church when someone says, will you pray for me? I get a blue card. We have blue prayer cards and on these cards there will often be a request for a family member. Sometimes there's a request for a friend, for a coworker, even for that person himself. And we do this. We add the names to the list of people we pray for. At 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, we pray publicly for them. If that request comes in at the 11 o'clock hour, then Gary will lead the public prayer and we will pray for that request. So as a church, we do, we try to do what we say we will do. And do you know what happens then? I don't know how many times that someone has come back to me and said, I can feel the church praying. I can feel my brothers and sisters praying for me. I am so encouraged to know that the people of God seek His power because of my problem. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that supportive? Our problems get spread around to the entire congregation so that each of us helps to bear the burden for that person. Isn't it good to know that your problem becomes our problem? And this is exactly what the scriptures say to do. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we read that and we think, well, what law is he talking about? Fulfill the law of Christ. Well, it's simply this. It's the law that he gave that we are to love one another. Corporate prayer is often sharing in the experiences of others and groaning with God over the concerns of the body. Now, hopefully you feel your. Quiet prayers, the ones that you do at home, that those are answered prayers. But did you know that public prayers are God's people banging on God's door? All of us banging on God's door? And that just lifts you up. It supports you to know that you're a part of the body and other body parts feel your pain and are affected by it. So public prayer benefits our relationship with God and with each other. Then thirdly, Philippians 4 shows that prayer blesses you. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice there that Paul addresses the one who who is in prayer. When you pray for others that they will have peace, God gives you peace. There's a sense of satisfaction in knowing that you've done what God asked the church to do obedience brings its peaceable reward now you think for a minute why is there peace why do you have peace well it's because that you've turned what you have no ability to affect over to god let god deal with that you don't need to worry about it he said be careful for nothing don't worry about it what will your anxiety help any problem that you have and then further if if God can't do anything about your problem, then what hope is there for you to do anything about it? Well, the truth is, God can do something about it. I like what Paul wrote in Romans 8.31. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And when he wrote that, the if that he used is not an if of uncertainty, if God is for us, as if I really don't know. Well, that's Paul's way of saying, after all the proofs of arguments that he'd given in that passage, that... We can seek God because we know that he's for us. We have peace in everything because all is safely in God's hands. And so when we ask and we turn it over to God, he he blesses our hearts with calm assurance in that problem. Peace is in the heart of those who give up everything to God. And so I would ask you, are you still anxious about things? Are you still worried about what's going to happen? Why? Did you pray about it? Well, if you prayed about it and you're still worried about it, then you didn't turn it over to God. So if you trust him, he'll bless you with peace. That's not my promise. Paul said so. The Holy Spirit told him to write this. Take the advice and see if it's not the end of anxiety. Now, it's also good to pray because you know that you have obeyed. In public prayer, when someone stands here in this place to pray... You lend your thoughts to the one who prays. And by all of us doing that, God is moved. God knows prayer is good for you. So listen to him. He will bless you when you pray. Now, since we're, we're speaking of public worship, it's good to know how to pray publicly. So just briefly, as we conclude today, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about praying publicly. How do you do that? Sometimes when I visit other churches, I'm asked to pray. Uh, That's mostly a courtesy. Uh, It's to acknowledge, well, there's another preacher in the house. So I might not get asked to preach, but almost always I'm asked to pray. And I suppose maybe the people are tired of listening to the regular people that pray, so to add a little variety, they might ask me to pray. Well, some preachers are determined to preach whether they've been asked to. And so when they pray, when they're called on to pray in a visiting church or whatever, there's a three-point sermon that they put in there too but public prayer is not for preaching. Although in in, in this church, I'm the pastor of this church, I reserve the right to make a few points if I need to in the pastoral prayer. But you don't have that prerogative when you're called on to pray. If you're called on to pray, public prayer is not the time that you get up to confess your personal sins, at least not specific sins that are uncomfortable for others to hear publicly. I related this story before I I heard of a deacon who was asked to pray and he was so burdened with his personal sins that he confessed to having an affair with a woman who was sitting in the church while he was praying. Another man's wife. That's not a good time to confess your sin. So we don't want to do that. Uh, We can pray about sins in general. We can pray about sins that are common to all of us. But we ought not to pray for things that the leadership has to get involved with to straighten out. And then I, I might say that Corporate prayer is not a time for everybody to speak at the same time. Often people will lead in prayer and others are to listen quietly and then add perhaps an amen here or there, but not so much as to create confusion. Public prayer is to be orderly. The scriptures command that public worship is is to be done decently and in order. See, the Holy Spirit never moves with confusion. So when people get all excited about things and they blabber and they talk over each other as the service goes on, no one hears, that becomes chaotic and the Holy Spirit is not chaotic. Paul said, if people come in and they hear this, won't they say that you are crazy? Public prayer, worship services, that's not a chaotic time. So no, you're not going to hear us babbling and talking over each other. You won't hear us speaking nonsense in the church. And when the speaker prays, pray silently with him. And if you want to add an amen, and occasionally that's okay, but if you talk much more than that, you take the focus off of the prayer and put it on you. Now one more thing that I should add. Corporate prayer is not nap time. You don't get to sneak in a little nap because everybody has their eyes closed. It's not a time to sneak a peek at your cell phone. To check your text and your emails and the ball scores, and I know you 're sitting there thinking, "Why, who would do that? <laughs> you you know that you 've done it now it 's one of those little disguises that we use with electronic devices that are brought into the church. Someone says, "What are you doing there oh i 'm reading the Bible on my cell phone. I think, "Well, I just heard a chime. Did God send you an email? Or what, what is that? I you got a text. Now, I know that that goes on. I mean, a few weeks ago, I checked my email after the service, and there was an email from a member who had sent it while I was preaching. And I, I, I guess he thought there was something there that I needed to know, and he didn't know perhaps that there's a timestamp that goes along with that. So I know exactly where I was and what I was doing when I received that email. Sometimes, I sometimes if I forget and haven't shut off my own electronic devices, I hear the chime while I'm preaching. And there pops up somebody in the congregation to just sent me a text. Now, what, what's that about? So all, all I say about that is, "Busted, put your phone down. You talk to God, not to Aunt Sally in Nebraska. So public corporate prayer, that, that's a time for all of us to be on the same page with our hearts talking together to God. The public unity is the power of prayer. Now notice what Paul says next in verse 18. "And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I don't have time to talk about that part today. Thankfulness and prayer. We're going to begin the next time in a a few weeks on the worship of thankfulness. There's nothing worse than being unthankful, ungrateful people. We're too much of people that just thinks that we're entitled. Well, God certainly does obligate himself, doesn't he? He obligates himself to fulfillment of his promises, but I'll tell you this, don't ever take those for granted. Be thankful. That's the best attitude of prayer. So here we have two parts of the worship trilogy. We praise and we pray when the church is assembled. We assemble for these two purposes, for praise and for prayer. And there's still a third. It is a trilogy of worship, so there is a third. We worship God in spirit and in truth. All of that's done scripturally. And these are instructions for the way that we worship. And we're going to look at that third aspect of public worship in these coming weeks. So my encouragement today, the last encouragement, is do you know Christ? Because you can't do either of these things without knowing Him. You you can't praise Him and you can't pray to Him if you don't know Him. He gives you the right to do those through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so you must believe that that Christ died to save you from your sins. You must acknowledge that He is the Savior and the Lord. Worship goes up to God who is our Lord and Savior. If you don't acknowledge that much that He saves you from your sins and know that He saves you and you have believed in Him, why would you praise Him and why would you pray to Him? So that's only granted to those who know Christ as Savior. Any attempt to worship through praise and prayer without him makes you a hypocrite. You can't do it. God doesn't accept pretenders. So this is what he says about his people. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So if you come in praise or prayer and you don't know him... He doesn't know you either. And so his ears are stopped. He doesn't hear anything from those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. Worship God by rejoicing in song and praying without ceasing. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now acknowledging that we have no power except that is granted by you. We have no ability to do anything in the church except that you give us that, that power to do it. Lord, we know that we are God and the Savior of our souls. We praise you, Lord, for everything that you've done for us. We praise you for this service today, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church,